Well, last week we started a series on continuing. And the phrase continue thou, <coughs> or continue in, in the New Testament is used several times. And this morning I'd like us to go to John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, to look at this second one, which is to continue in the Word. Continue in the Word. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, the Word of God tells us, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So I want us to look at a few ways in which the Bible describes itself and I started making slides, but I didn't get them all done. So some of these we'll look up. So let's go ahead and start doing that now. I'm going to assume, anybody not going to volunteer to read? Okay, good. That was a good way to embarrass everybody into doing so. so. So let's look at a few of them that I did get slides for. First of all, the Bible describes itself as a discerner. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick which means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now we're going to talk about the discernment that the Word of God gives us, but isn't it amazing as you hear preaching of the Word or as you're studying the Word how it can show you the sin in your life and it puts the finger right on it and the Holy Spirit uses His Word to convict us and show us areas of our life that need to change. But beyond that, how that the Word of God gives us wisdom in making decisions, and we can make a decision knowing that this is the right way to go because we've been able to, to discern so from using the principles of God's Word, which are always true, always right. And so the Bible calls itself a discerner. I think that's a great place to turn then for wisdom and discernment, don't you? The Bible also calls itself a lamp or a light. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Proverbs 6, 23, For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light and reproach and instruction are the way of life. The Bible gives light to our path. Now, interestingly, the lights that they had back then were not like we have now. When I was a teenager, I had this huge spotlight, and it was legal in Pennsylvania, so we used to do it. We used to go out spotting deer, okay? So we'd take this big spotlight, and we'd sit on the edge of a field, and you could just shine across there, and you could see all the deer standing there, okay? That's not the light we're, kind of, we're talking about that they had. They had basically oil lamps, something similar to pictured there. Uh, I think the closest thing that many of us can relate to today would be the little kerosene lanterns you used to carry that uh, if you went camping. Remember those? Okay. They gave you a little bit of light to see. Now, especially those hurricane lamps, I guess they called them, the ones that had the big flute in the middle. If you turned the wick up too far... It would sit there and it'd start huffing and puffing smoke like crazy, and then the inside of the glass gets all blackened and you can't see anything anyhow, right? 
So you had to keep the flame down. I always thought as a boy, well, hey, I can't see. So, well, it didn't help, right? So, but you could see enough to take a step or two, and that was about it. So it is with the way the Word of God guides us. You know, God doesn't show us what's going to happen five, ten years from now. He shows us what the next step for us to do. And once we obey that next step, then He shows us the next step. Because the same way in which when you follow a lamp, the light moves forward when you take a step, so does God's Word proceed to show you what the next step is. Follow what I'm saying? So that's the way in which the Word of God is a light for us. Then the Bible also calls itself a mirror, 1 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with open face, beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. James 1.23-25. For if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is likened a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth this way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man that he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he be not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, the man sh that this man shall be blessed in his deed. So the word of God is like a mirror. Now, back in the days when I had hair, I had wavy hair, kind of. That's where Shannon gets her curls from. I, if I let it grow long enough, it probably would have started to curl. So when I would get up in the morning, it would be just everywhere. And so I had to take time to comb my hair and get it all to look right. God bless me, and my hair departed. Now I don't have to worry about it. But if I were to get up in the morning and I were not to look in the mirror and see that my hair was all disheveled and to fix my hair, or if I were to get up and I were to look and see in the mirror, that needs fixed. But I weren't to take care of it, and I would just go about my business, and I would go outside, everybody would be laughing because my hair would be just a mess, right? Well, so it is with the Word of God. As you study the Word of God in the morning, as you're having your daily time in the Word, your quiet time, your devotions, whatever you choose to call it, that time when you and God are alone and you're studying God's Word and you're praying, and God's Word shows you something that, that needs to be fixed, like a mirror would, and you say, okay, I'll get to that later. It's the same thing. James is like, you're going to go about your day and forget about it. So don't be just a hearer of the Word. Be a doer of the Word. This is why we give invitations. You do realize the invitation is not so the preacher can sit there and feel like, oh, great, everybody responded to this message. It must be a good message. No, it's so that we can take care of because we held up the Word of God, if you were, as a mirror, and hopefully the mirror showed some areas that need to be corrected. Now it's time to say, okay, I'm going to respond to that and go ahead and correct it. All right? That was all the slides I got done. All right, the next way it describes itself as a laver for cleansing. Now, some of these passages don't necessarily say laver in it, but we get the idea of it's for cleansing, and you would cleanse yourself in a laver. Now, remember, in the tabernacle, they built a laver. When you come into the tabernacle through the gate, the first thing you'd see was the altar burnt offering, 
And then behind that was a laver, which the Bible tells us had a foot as well. In other words, it probably had not just a basin up top for the washing of the hands, but it probably had a lower basin at the bottom for the washing of the feet. Okay, um, And I didn't get a picture of that up there, but the idea being is for washing. So who had Ephesians 5.26? Okay. It be in the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of the word. So again, showing the word of God is <coughs> excuse me for cleansing. You know, by the way, this sickness and crud going around, um, I don't think it helps when one day you walk outside and it's beautiful 72 degrees, and then the next day you walk out and it's 28. But if the weather could figure out what it wants to do, I think sickness would stop. But anyhow, Psalm 119.9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy words. We see several places in the Bible that shows that the Bible is a cleansing. How many times have you, either in your personal study or in a preaching, heard a message that convicted you and it was a matter that maybe you have been dealing with, maybe a sin you've been holding on to, and you finally get that matter right with God. Don't you walk away feeling cleansed? Isn't it wonderful the Word of God helps cleanse us? All right. Then the next is for food. And we're going to see several subcategories of this, but for food, my voice is changing. Food, Job 23, 12. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. By the way, how is one way, what, what is one way in which we can show God that his word is more important to us than our necessary food? Fasting. A practice that we really don't talk a whole lot about, fasting. We you know, fasting, I... You see people do three-day fast, seven-day fast. Jesus did a 40-day fast, and all those are proper. But, you know, sometimes it could be just one meal. Maybe you just skip lunch and take that time praying and studying the Word. But is that not, again, showing, Lord, I esteem your Word more than my necessary food? There is power in fasting. Remember, Jesus told the disciples with, uh, when they came to him about certain spirits and said, why can't we cast those out? And he said, they only come out by prayer and fasting. We seem to do okay, I guess, in, in our prayer lives, but how? when's the last time you actually spent fasting and praying? I think it's an exercise which we should become more accustomed with. But the Wonderful thing about the food of God's word is that it is age appropriate. So the next verse shows that it can be milk for babes. First Peter two two. All right, when a baby's hungry, everybody in the house knows about it, don't they? They're going to tell you, "I'm hungry." Now, I've never met a mama yet that says, "I'm grilling up this steak for my baby." No but they might be warming up a bottle for the baby. And understand, new Christians, the Bible says, are babes in Christ. So in the same way that you would not take a first grader and say, today we're going to learn calculus, 
So you should not take a newborn in Christ and say, today we're going to learn about eschatology. Probably not the topic to start on. Things to come. Because I don't care how mature you are in Christ, that's a difficult study, is it not? All right, but it's also the bread for the hungry, Deuteronomy 8.3. So we don't live by bread alone, but by the bread, if you will, of the word of God. Every mouth that proceedeth, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word. This is why, folks, the modern versions that have distorted and changed and twisted the word of God are improper because every word matters. And when they feel, when they, being the translator, feel that they have the liberty to change the word of God, we're in a dangerous territory. Understand many of your modern translations, instead of doing what's called, they do dynamic equivalency instead of formal equivalency is the word I'm looking for. Formal equivalency is taking from this language and coming to the language you're translating in a one-for-one the best as possible. You say, what do you mean by best as possible? Okay, I was teaching the Gospels, and I took the passage in Matthew 21, and I broke it down for them, because when Peter comes to Jesus, or when Jesus comes to Peter and says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? The word there the first two times is the word agape. Peter's response is always using the word phileo, which is a different word for love. Now, we only have one word in English that means both things, and we call it love. So both of them are translated love. So, yes, it's an accurate translation, because it's the only word we have to say the same thing. Do you follow what I'm saying? However, the and you can understand the passage when you read it. I'm not saying that you know we have anything wrong with the translation we have here. However, you do lose that little nuance of, the third time Christ asked the question, he changes the word to phileo. Peter still uses the word phileo. Peter can never say, I agape you. That's the highest form of love. That's that selfless, sacrificial love. Peter never can bring himself to say that to Jesus at that moment. Why? Because he knew he failed. And Jesus is asking, do you have that love for me? Peter couldn't say it, so Jesus then asked the third time, do you have that phileo, that brotherly love for me? Peter was able to say, yes, I do, Lord. Now, I believe Peter still had the agape love, and that's what Jesus, part of what Jesus was trying to teach him there is that, Peter, you failed, but get up and do it again. And sometimes we need that reminder, don't we? Get up and do it again. All right, but then Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. Okay, <clears throat> when you become an adult, you should enjoy a good steak, unless you have a reason why you can't eat. You should enjoy meat, right? And the beauty of the Word of God is, as we grow in Him, as we grow in the Word, not only does it provide the milk when we're babes, not only provide the bread to sustain our lives, but it also provides that meat, those delicious meals, if you will, that, you know, have you ever had a time when you're studying the Word and something just jumps out at you and it's just a truth that you really can chew on, like a good piece of steak? And then Psalm 119, 103. 
sweet as honey. How many times have you maybe in distress turned to the Psalms? You know, yesterday when I was in talking to John, um, he said that when he was in the COVID unit, there was a Gideon Bible there because he couldn't have his own because it might get COVID, you know. Um, <clears throat> so he was reading in the Psalms and he said it was just comfort to him. How many times have we, for comfort, turned to the Psalms and found comfort? The Bible also describes itself as fine gold. Psalm 19.10, who had that one? More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. There's the honey again, but more than fine gold. Do you put the value of God's word greater than money? I would guess for most, the answer would have to be honestly, no. We value money more than the Word of God. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Well, part of it goes to people's attitude toward the things of God. For instance, it is amazing to me what will keep people away from church but yet they'll go to work because I have to go to work. Well, why don't we have that same attitude about being in God's house? I'm going to be in God's house unless providentially hindered should be our attitude. Not, well, you know, I got the sniffles today. I think I'll stay home. Now, if you're truly sick, okay, we're trying to stop spreading diseases around. I get it. So you want to social distance from everybody or you need to stay home. That's fine. We understand that. Okay, I'm not trying to shame anybody who's legitimately sick. But it is amazing that it rained today. I think I'm going to stay home, but I'll go to work when there's ice on the road. It really shows our values. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Okay, Jeremiah says the Word of God is like a fire. It should be like a fire in our bones. You know, what is important to you is what you're going to be talking about. You want to find out what's important to somebody, have a conversation with them, and let them do the talking, and they're going to steer the conversation into what's important to them. It's either going to be work, sports, their hobbies, family. Very rarely does a conversation turn to spiritual things. Along with that, Jeremiah 23, 29, also talking about fire, but also talks about being a hammer. Okay, so it says a hammer breaks a rock in pieces, right? What do you do with a hammer? You, you destroy things, or you make them work better. When it's not working, hit it with a hammer, and if it doesn't work, hit it harder, right? Unless it's your thumb. When my dad added one to his house, it was before using screws was popular in construction. And so <clears throat> swinging a hammer all day, and the only hammer I had was a electrician's hammer. And if you know anything about them, they're a little bit heavier than a carpenter's hammer because they got such a long snout on it that we can you used to hammer boxes with nails in the back of the box. That's illegal anymore. But anyhow, you used to do it that way. So I had this long snout on it so it could reach in the back of the box without messing up the handle. Anyhow, all day long hammering nails no wonder I had carpal tunnel and had to have the surgery. I'm telling you, it hurt. But the hammer was to hammer the nails or to break things. There have been many times I tried destroying things, and so I grab a hammer. And if it doesn't work, I grab a heavier hammer. 
So how is God's word a hammer? Is destroy us? Is that what it means by it? Nail something down, okay. But how else can it be a hammer? Chip away those parts that do not conform to the image of Christ, right? You would use a hammer for that. How else? Crack the hardened heart. When we were lost, some of us had a hard heart toward the things of God. But the Word of God can soften that hard heart. And also, I will say, for those who do not receive Christ, the hammer will be, the Word of God will be a hammer in judgment. All right? Let's look these last ones up together. Ephesians 6, 17. And we are still on the introduction, by the way. But, and I know most of you in the room know these things, but again, is it not important we go back and review and understand? Because if we're talking about continuing in the Word, well, why should I continue in the Word? What is the Word of God to me? And so I think it's important we have this review to understand what the Word of God is so that we can <clears throat> be reminded of the importance of continuing in the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the Bible says it is a sword. Hebrews 4.12, which we already looked at back when we looked at the discerner, also saying it is a two-edged sword. It is the only offensive weapon given to the Christian. All the other armor of God is for defense. Now that should tell us something. Because, Christian, there is a spiritual battle going on. There are powers and principalities. There are angels. There are demons. There, I think if we could see what's really happening in the spiritual realm around us, most of us would be scared to death. Or maybe... As Elijah told his servant, look up on the hills. Would Elijah or Elisha told him, look up on the hills, and he saw all the armies of God surrounding him? It was actually a comfort. But the point being this, you and I are no match in the flesh for Satan and his host of demons. That is why God has given us so much armor for defense. But he's given us one offensive piece. And as we studied just a few weeks ago, when we talked about the temptation of Jesus Christ, he used the word of God when tempted. That is our greatest offensive piece we have is the word of God. This is why we are to hide the word of God in our hearts, that we might not sin against God, because we, it's the only um, weapon that I have is the Word of God. Not my smarts, not my logic, not my think, you know, wits. It is the Word of God. And so when I am tempted, the greatest thing I can do is quote the Word of God. I'm telling you, there's power in the Word of God. It's quick, it's alive, and it works. The Word of God also calls itself the seed. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. 
And of course, this is after Jesus gives the parable of the sower that went out to sow his seed, and some fell by the wayside, and some fell upon the rock, and some fell among thorns, and some fell on good ground. So we get down to verse uh, 11, and Jesus says, Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. So again, as I am presenting the gospel, it's not my ABC pray after me. It's not my, you know, fancy speech that's going to get somebody. It's not the tracks that try to um, entice people or or what's the word I'm looking for? The ones that try to uh, trick people into reading them. Okay, it is the Word of God. As a matter of fact, if a track doesn't have Scripture in it, throw it away. Because it's the Word of God that is the seed. It's the Word of God that God is going to use to convict people of their sin and their need for Jesus Christ. So when we go to sow, let's sow the seed. Why do you think when we do go door to door, when we, we, we need to get find a way to start handing those out again. I keep saying that, but we're going to work on something. We put John and Romans in a packet. Why? Because it's the Word of God that's going to change their life. And then lastly, the Bible calls itself the Word of God. And we see that in Hebrews 6.5 and other places, but we'll just look at this one for an example because our time is running by very quickly. Hebrews 6.5 And have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of of the world to come. The good word of God. Have you tasted of the good word of God? Now I want you to think of this. I'm standing here and I'm giving a word today. But what I have to say, if I give my opinion, would not matter. What I have to say today matters because I'm preaching the word of God. It's the word of God that gives the power. Because it's His Word that's powerful, not mine. The very words of God, and I've said this before, the very words of God that spoke these worlds into existence, the very words of God that told the sea when when Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat and His disciples wake Him up, He just gets up and tells the sea, be quiet, and it listens. Why do we treat the Word of God as though it doesn't have the power? It is powerful. Now, with that introduction, going back to John chapter 8, and I didn't forget where we started. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There are three things that I want us to see about continuing in the Word of God, and we have about four minutes, so I'm not going to get through all three of them today, okay? But first, we notice the Bible disciples the believer. The Bible disciples the believer. Secondly, we'll see the Bible discerns, and we'll see that in the words, ye shall know the truth. Then lastly, the Bible delivers from the dominion of sin. 
So the Bible disciples the believer. Jesus said unto those Jews believe in him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. So do we want to show that he is, we are a disciple of Christ and we need to continue in the word. Now again, remember the word continue, same word translated in John 15, abide or to dwell or to feel at home. So do we feel at home studying the word of God? Is your time studying the word of God a precious time? A time that you value. A time that you're comfortable in the Word of God. You've all heard the saying numerous times, either the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. If there's a reason why you don't want to study your Bible, you need to examine your heart and see what's hindering you from wanting to be in God's Word. But a true disciple or follower wants to know his Lord better. That's part of the reason why we study the Bible. Not just so we can go around quoting verses and, and, and telling people what we know about the Bible and trying to act like we're really smart about things. No, it's because I want to know the author of the Bible. I want to know him, as Paul said. You know the beauty of the Word of God? No matter where you study, Old Testament or New, the whole book points to Jesus Christ. You can see Jesus Christ on every page. And it's so beautiful. Because every time you come to the Bible, you learn more about God. Now, in my personal study, I'm finishing up 1 Chronicles. And I will admit, 1 Chronicles sometimes, because it's list of names after list of names after list of names after list of names, sometimes... If we're not careful, we can sit there and think, this really doesn't matter. Number one, every word matters. So then I need to stop and ask, God, why is this important? How is this going to help me knowing the list of captains each month? There was a certain captain, and then they had 24,000 blah, 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 you know, the whole uh, chapter 27, I think it was, of Chronicles. Or knowing all the sons of Aaron and knowing all the sons of, of the other tribes and all, or all the other families and whatnot. Knowing all those names, why is this important? Give me a couple reasons why that might be important. How does that help you today? Sometimes there's references in the New Testament to an Old Testament name and when you go back to the Old Testament, you can see what was recorded about this individual, giving us more understanding of who they were. Very good. Okay, so when you're studying some of the genealogies and you come across some of the names and you're like, really? You're in there? After what you did? Yeah, it shows you that God can forgive and God can still use you. Good. What else? It shows God is the master planner. God is orderly. All that God does is done decently and in order. And so it shows, number one, his master plan throughout the ages, yes. But I think there's application we can make of that then is, okay, so he, he lists off the singers in the temple and talks about how they, you know, ministered there. And that was primarily their whole occupation, okay, I don't want to call it a job, but their whole occupation was to 
sing in the temple and things of that nature. So when we see some of those details, and you add that with the details that God gave of the tabernacle and how the sacrifices were to be, and then you see how when David is organizing the worship of the temple, well, the tabernacle would be the temple with his son Solomon, but you get the point, um, <clears throat> how that God is to be worshipped in an orderly fashion, which is why I believe it's okay to call out those churches that, that are so flippant about the way they worship God because God wants us to worship Him in an orderly fashion, right? So I can make those applications. Even by reading these lists of names and seeing how orderly this all was done, it reminds me that all we do in life needs to be done decently and in order. The tribe of Levi is supposed to be the priestly tribe. You could go through the lineage and see that I am a Levite, therefore I belong in the priesthood, right? And you can see that by what was promised him. Very good. Any, any others? All right, and we probably could continue on, but we need to stop here. But the idea being is even in those words, while sometimes feeling a little tedious to read, and we can't pronounce half of them, I get it, there's still great importance in the whole thing. And I'll end with this one, and then we'll close. You know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the 144,000. It tells us there's going to be out of each of the tribes. And some sit there and th say, well, how in the world can we know who's of what tribe anymore with all this history going on? You know what it shows me? God's keeping record. He knows. Man may not have it all right now, but somewhere, some way, they're going to be able to track their lineage. God knows who they are. And it's, it's, it's just, again, going back to the power of God. And so we'll come back to this next week. Let's go ahead and close.